0: Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter.
1: Well, thank you, Engineer Henry, for that fantastic music. I'm enjoying it. It's Storywriter. Good morning. Pleased to be with you, 606 on WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. I am hearing myself twice, so we'll work on that, I'm sure. Um, I want to let you know that this spot is exactly where you are going to be hearing Richard Chu going forward. You know Richard from the family meeting on Sunday mornings, and I'm going to keep the chair warm until he becomes your wake-up call starting Monday morning, I believe. Although, although we're trying to get a little sneak preview and an interview with him uh, this morning speaking of things going forward, I've been watching, and maybe you have too, if you come into Chicago, I have not noticed this, um, I've not noticed this outside of the city, but a lot of neighborhoods around the city, we are now seeing, um, we're, we're. I don't even know how to describe it, small groups. It started out slowly, one or two. And now we are seeing small groups of migrant families gathered around uh, different parking lots, uh, supermarket parking lots, Walgreens parking lots, Staples parking lot near me. I counted just this week in one parking lot, three or possibly four family groups clearly new here. Why do I say this? Uh, because, I don't just believe the signs that say we're new, we're from Venezuela, we need money, but because the children were not in school. You're joining Tori Ryder on WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk, and I'm wondering if you have seen these migrant groups and how you feel about them when you see them. The last time I was here, I had not had the experience, I'm about to relay to you, uh, but it's it it's um it's an experience i hope that you uh, if you are american born and raised i hope you don't have to look at it i hope we can resolve it before it's something that you come across this past week um about 10 days ago a friend drove us picked us up in phoenix my my spouse the spousal unit and me and drove us to their home on the baja peninsula in mexico And I asked my friend as we were approaching the border, what are we going to see? Are we going to see these newsworthy uh, photos that we've been seeing now of people gathered en masse along the border waiting to come to the United States? And he said, no, not so much from Baja, because we're a peninsula, You, you won't see much it's mostly east of us, people who can come straight up through Central America and Mexico and congregate more along the Texas border. So I was not prepared for what you would see and what I saw when we crossed over the border at um, at Mexicali area. Actually, well... It, that general area, there was, in fact, a line of small tents of people waiting at the border. It wasn't a small group either. It wasn't huge like what you see on your TV, multicolored tents and tarps and plastic. But it was a a sad thing to see. I counted as we crossed over and had the drug-sniffing dog go over our vehicle. I counted about 40 just at a glance little tents of people waiting to come here. And if you see this, I realize that some of you may have seen this often, but once you see this, you cannot look at the people in the parking lots of your neighborhood, Jewel or Walgreens. You can't look at them the way that you did before. Before I saw the groups of people congregated along the border, I only saw the people here and I thought, well, this this is it's ridiculous. We can't have people with children not in school staying in parking lots. And I've got to do something. And you may know if you've listened to me before on the air that uh, I've I've talked to people who are serving these groups with clothing and food and cell phone cards and cell phones and anything they can think of, but they sort of pop out of nowhere. You're going to get yourself a bottle of generic Tylenol and there's a group, a family group of four and you think, this is just surreal. How did they come here? Once you cross that border and you see those tents and you see those people, you start to understand a little tiny piece of the process that brought these people to our city. And it becomes even more urgent that we provide the tools that are needed for an orderly and legal and proper system to bring these people safely into the city. We should not have, I think, I, I almost think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. We should not, have families with kids, little kids and school-age kids, begging for money and granola bars in the parking lots of stores in our city. That's not the process that we should be implementing to help these people once they have arrived in our city. And when you see what they went through to get here, it becomes even more clear that you can't just run in and get your Tylenol and try to forget all about it. And yet the city is doing nearly nothing as far as I can tell towards integrating these folks, serving these folks, housing these folks, making it possible for them to function and at the very minimum, get their kids into schools. Yes, it's expensive. And yes, We're correct to turn in part to Washington and say, you need to serve, you need to serve us as we serve these people. But I'm wondering, as, as you look around, what exactly do you think in your heart? What does your heart say to you? If you've seen these people, when you see these people, do you get angry, frustrated? Um, feel like you know, contacting your local people, to, hopeless? What is the feeling that you feel? What's the mix of feelings? And what, if anything, have you decided to do about it? One of the most amazing experiences is to be in a foreign country, read foreign press, and watch your government malfunction in a crisis You're looking from the outside in. We just spent a couple of weeks in Mexico and watching the United States government malfunction over the border crisis like it's some kind of snow globe that you're looking from the outside at your country just screwing up right and left. It's disheartening. You want to be the proudest of proud Americans and say, you know, we've got this Statue of Liberty standing in our harbor that says you're welcome, but we're not saying you're welcome. We, we are a walking, living, breathing contradiction here. And finally, we have a proposal. We have a proposal for active border controls, for additional funding for migration courts and services, and it's really disheartening. And that is the mildest word I can use to see the Republicans start to use this as though they're not dealing with real people living in tents and under tarps and sitting in the Staples parking lot, as though it's just an issue for Donald Trump to run on. I would go so far as to say it's beyond disheartening. It's disgusting. And I don't know if they've got people in the Walgreens parking lot in Washington, D.C. But once you see families in the cold with little children, literally nothing to do but run around a Walgreens parking lot and hope that someone will give them money or food, when you know that those people have slept under tarps at the border, perhaps for days or weeks or months, and you see that our president has has indicated a willingness to temporarily halt the flow in order to create an orderly system so that at the end of the pipeline, you don't have kids playing in a freezing cold, slushy Walgreens parking lot because Donald Trump has told them the republicans just to obstruct just to make these people the the most elementary of bargaining chips when you see that it's beyond disheartening it's beyond disgusting i think i'm almost out of words altogether i really do if you're getting up now and you're on your way to work you know the number you know how to text me as you, as you shave your face or brush your teeth or make that cup of coffee. You know how to do it. The number 773-763-WCPT will get you here to me what are you thinking when you are you seeing these folks in your neighborhood and what are you thinking we need to do next for them and how does it make you feel to know that we have people we have the Marjorie Taylor Greene's so and they're not even all they're not even all as crazy nutjob right wing as Marjorie Taylor Greene this is what's happened to the Republican party they're willing to make human beings And they're, you know, all these human beings, the babies, the little sons, the little daughters, the mothers, the fathers, the family groups, they are willing to make them into bargaining chips so that Donald Trump can stand up and say, oh, what Joe Biden has done to the border. As if, by the way, it just started under Joe Biden. As if, by the way, these people leaving their countries and walking through dangerous jungles and losing their lives and selling everything. Did you know that there are people who actually were not completely impoverished? They had small holdings, they had small businesses, they had cars, they had family plots of land that had been inherited for generations, just selling all of it just to pay smugglers so that they can come here and end up in your Walgreens parking lot? It's horrifying. And then let's go on to the the next disgusting part. And I may be offending some of you when I say this. Let's go to the next disgusting part. The part where you have people who say, you know what? I think Joe Biden is a little bit old. I'm going to vote for some third party candidate to make a statement, to make a point, I'm going to just pick somebody from the list of crazy nut jobs who are running as alleged Democrats against him. Dean Phillips of Minnesota, crazy Kennedy, um, who used to not be crazy. And Dean Phillips used to not be crazy. And uh, what's her name, Williamson, who has always been a little bit, a couple bubbles off plum, as they say, where I come from. And they're going to do this as a protest vote. It's one thing you want to do it in a true blue state. It's another thing you want to do it in Michigan. Or I, I actually, I love my friends who hosted me in Arizona. But I actually heard one of them say, you know, I, I can't vote for Joe Biden. And, and, and didn't even give a reason. Just he didn't have her perfect list of of votes and politics and positions. And there's a state where every single vote will count. And her protest vote means more people begging for money with their kids out of school in your local Jewel Osco parking lot. And you just want to say to these alleged progressives, if you're really so progressive, You better figure out, as my friend Dashka Slater said on this program the other day, the lesser of two evils is definitely better than the worst of two evils. And you better figure it out fast. You need to be clear. You need to be aware. You need to be absolutely on point about, absolutely on point about what's going to happen if you stage your protest vote. So if you have a family member or somebody in one of these close call states, if you have a family member in one of these almost went to Trump last time states, are you having those conversations Are you willing to have those conversations? Are you afraid to have those conversations? You don't want to alienate your friend or family member. I will confess to you that my friend who was my host, I didn't argue. I didn't want to argue with them. I didn't want to say, look what you're doing. That's nuts. They're my friend's. I want to support them in their progressive views. I want to support them even when they're not completely in line with me. And so I shut up. I didn't say, are you nuts? (laughs) I didn't say, are you crazy? Don't you understand what will happen if you withhold your vote from a perfectly good president in order to make some kind of point that will not be made? You want to see what kind of point you're making? Here's the crystal ball. It's not a crystal ball. It's what's happened last time we elected Donald Trump to the 10th power. That's what you'll get. I saw some editorial the other day. Um, Maybe you saw it too. If Donald Trump is elected this time, he will never leave office. And a cold chill should run down your spine when you read that headline, because at first you think, well, that's, that's ridiculous. You only get two terms. That's all you get. And then you think, well, really what's between us and ending up with a Putin what's between us We used to think, well, you know, someone who's been criminally charged and civilly found guilty for millions of dollars and started a riot and tried to overthrow an election, nobody would vote for someone like that. And then you look at the polling numbers and you think, holy smokes in a bucket. People are willing to believe. And people who said to me, my Republican friends, who said to me right after the election, well, I liked Donald Trump, but of course he lost the election. Now, now those people say to me, well, you know, it's been election interference. And they're not going to hear on the sources they watched how much Dominion voting paid for that lie about election interference. Because the sources that they're using aren't going to serve them that news. The things that they're reading, the things that they're seeing, the things that they're hearing on right-wing talk radio in this country, they're not going to give them an actual fact about Donald Trump losing And if you press their anchors and you press their hosts to stay, to say, well, who's the president right now? They still, they still will say, well, it's not clear. And there was election interference. And you case after case after case. And yet here are friends saying, well, you know, I'm going to stage a protest vote. And that headline that I read out of the corner of my eye the other day, and you may have seen it too. If Donald Trump is reelected, he's never going to leave office. It doesn't start to look like crazy talk anymore. It doesn't start to look like someone just made it up out of whole cloth anymore. It starts to look like a real, honest to goodness possibility. Looking at uh, messages coming in here. Thank you for the truth this morning. Phillips doesn't have enough support to debate Biden and RFK and Cornell West are not running as Democrats. This ridiculousness about no primary is an attempt to prop up Trump, the entitled criminal. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. Certainly not going to argue with that. Yeah. Did you catch that one where the Republican Party actually tried to to crown Trump as their nominee? I mean, look, you can look at the polls, but I wouldn't count Nikki Haley out altogether. And even if she loses, she's the last person standing to to give evidence to the fact that there's still an election going on on the Republican side of the aisle. And that's important. Nikki Haley, as I've said on this radio station before, does scare the jeepers out of me. But it More to the point, it tells you what the Republicans are actually about. It tells you why. If Donald Trump gets reelected, we may end up in Putin land. We may end up with someone who's been in power for, how long is it with Putin now? 26 years? And you know what's really awful? If when Donald Trump ran the first time, you looked at your friends who were laughing and you said, you know what? If he gets elected, it could be the end of this country. And now you're finding out that you were horribly correct. Nobody wants to be correct in that way. There are times you just don't want to be right. There are times when you think, geez, I really hope I'm wrong about this. Because in the same way that Putin of Russia can send people to die in a war that he has started for reasons of ego and hubris and religious zealotry, we can get a president who sends people to die at the border. We can get a president who wants people drowning in the Rio Grande River. And if you've got a friend who's saying, you know, I think I'll just have a protest vote, I don't like, he's too old, he's losing a step, he's not who he was. Well, he's been darn great for this country. And even if you don't think he's been darn great for this country, he's an order of 10 orders of magnitude better for this country than Donald Trump. And if you don't believe me, come visit my Walgreens parking lot. If you don't believe that this country can turn into an India or the other side of the Mexican border or a Ukraine, come stand in my Walgreens parking lot and see four families Who have no services, who have no warm coats, who don't have enough food, and that's just one thing that can go wrong. Don't even think too hard about the air you breathe and the water you drink, because you'll have a president who doesn't care about the quality of either one of those things, and the list goes on. More in a moment. We're live, local, and progressive, WCPT. listening to WcPT Chicago's progressive talk in this spot come Monday your new morning wake-up voice Richard Chu, will be here I'm Tory Ryder holding the fort as it was as it were it's a it's a it's a comfortable fort you would like this for it. It's, it's warm, it's welcoming, and your texts are also welcome. Uh, if you're just joining us, um, last half hour, we were talking about the, 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 arrogance of voting for a third party in light of what's going on now in this country in the coming elections. Checking some of your texts. uh, This from Lois, couldn't agree more. Voting a protest vote won't lead to more parties, but will lead to a dictatorship and one party, the GOP. Lois, I would modify that to say the, the reconstituted GOP. This is no GOP like I knew in years past. Trump is old, irrational and unfit for office. I think, I think that's the kindest assessment. I think that is a gentle assessment. But then again, we're a gentle fort. If you want to join us by text, that is the best way for you to get your message to me this morning. 773-763-9278. It's 635. If you're getting ready for work, uh, we are glad and honored to be part of your morning. Something Chicago has not seen in a while. And even if you don't live in the city proper, If you are a newspaper reader, you may be a longtime subscriber, never mind their editorial page, but because of their news department, you may be a reader of the Chicago Tribune. And guess what? I did not know. You may not have known. This is a first, according to the Sun-Times, which I also read, on Thursday, and that's today. Chicago Tribunes recently, as in 2018, unionized newsroom staff are going to go on an historic 24-hour strike. This they have never done before. More than 200 journalists and production workers at seven newsrooms across the country are going to participate in a 24-hour strike to demand fair wages, and to fight against management's effort to eliminate their four hundred and one k. That's strangely enough, the th- this this is what happens to labor if you don't stand up for your union rights. First, they push you out of your secure pension program, what you thought was a secure pension program. And instead of a guaranteed pension program, your company all of a sudden magically shows up with a four hundred and one k. And you make your peace with that, and then. What do they do? They start, because it's not a union-run pension program for your own benefit, because it's the company deciding part of what happens to your 401k, like how much they put into it, they start screwing around with that. And weirdly, it appears from the news accounts I'm reading, that was the thing that pushed the Tribune's newsroom employees over the edge. That was the thing when they said, you know what? We work at this job because we love news. We love gathering the news. We love writing the news and bringing people the news. A better informed world is a better world. And we don't take the money we could take if we did other jobs. And now we'll be stuck doing this forever forever. It's not that we don't love it, it's that we can't do it until we die. We want to have a dignified retirement. It's Alden Global Capital, the ant- the antichrist of news, basically. Everywhere they go, they're like, "You know how we can make money?" We can fire everybody, and then we don't have to pay any expenses, and then all we have is income. It's amazing how they do that. It's kind of like there used to be this old comedy routine. I, did, if you grew up listening to the folk and comedy on our classical music station in town, you'll know there was a comedy routine where a, a philosopher, a character of a philosopher, is, is asked the question, do fish think? Now stick with me here. it will make sense in a moment. So the character of the philosopher is asked, do fish think? And he answers the question this way. He had a fish in a goldfish bowl and every day he fed the fish a little bit later to see if the fish had a sense of time and would come later, thinking and understanding that every day the food would come a little later and that if it didn't get the food, the food would fall to the floor of the aquarium and, and not be available at all. So every day the fish shows up, and every day the food's a little later. And the fish, in this comedy routine, never, never figures out that it has to show up a little later than it did the day before. It shows up a little later, but not quite later enough. And so the fish starves to death. And the answer in this comedy routine to the question, do fish think, is, well, yes, they think, but not fast enough. And that's what, and that is what Alden Capital, that's what they've done, Alden Global Capital, to the newsrooms. They give them a little less and a little less and a little less, but the difference between journalists and goldfish is that journalists do think fast enough and they have figured out that pretty soon if they keep going down the road of Alden Capital they will starve to death. And so they formed a union a few years ago and now for the first time ever they're going to go on strike. How do you think that's going to turn out? I, I I must tell you, I, I'm a Heartland Signal newsreader. I am a subscriber to Block Club. The Sun-Times is free now. I think that it may be too late. I think Alden Capital doesn't know any other way to behave other than to try, try to starve their workers to death. But I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping that I am wrong, hoping that the union spirit will catch fire, not just in this market, but in all the places where that company has bought good, small, local newspapers and they have them, I'm trying to, I, I should look how many markets, they have them in many more places than here. And every place they go, they start starving the news gatherers, the people who make it possible, even with a conservative editorial page, for you to know what a fascist wannabe dictator Donald Trump actually is. They work hard to bring you the truth of stories like corruption in Chicago. You might not know, but for the work that they do. But Alden Capital, it's not about news to them. It's not about giving you the information you need so that you can make decisions about how to vote and where to do business and where to put your money. You could still be sticking your money in a bank that's basically a Ponzi scheme if you didn't have reporters to tell you about that. Well, it's going to be interesting to see, and again, I am no longer a subscriber to that paper because they starved their newsroom enough that I gave it up A while ago, but if you're still a subscriber, I'm just curious, what, what is your, what does your Tribune look like today? Feel free to text me. I'd like to know, are you noticing a difference? It has, I'm almost ready to go buy a, if it didn't not help the cause, I'd go buy a paper just to see what a disaster it is today. We have to start honoring the workers that we need and the work that they do. And I would posit to you that journalists are what we've now learned to call essential workers. They may not be working in your hospitals. They may not be bringing you food if you can't go out and risk your life or health or be in the cold or the heat if it's summer. They may not be law enforcement or firefighters. But I would say to you that actual working hardcore journalists are essential workers. Look what happens in a country that doesn't have a free press. Look what happens in a country where journalists aren't allowed just say what they need to say, write what they need to write. Look what happens in those countries. You don't want to live there. You don't want to be there in a country like that. I'm looking at some of your texts. Are they coming in here? Democrats need a reality check. Finding out That they're wrong for holding the party line. I don't know about that. The party line is a good line. And the party line says Joe Biden. And the party line says we support labor. Did you notice that Donald Trump is claiming that he is a pro-labor candidate? That man will just say anything to anybody. I mean, seriously, if, if you sent him to, to the, the snake collectors club of America, he would claim that Mar-a-Lago is full of snakes. He would say, well, it is, but not the kind that you actually herpetologists collect. You get my point. If the man were speaking to, to a skydiving club, he would claim to hold a record for skydiving. He will just say anything to anybody. And it's the same with labor. He's going to show up. You watch. He's going to show up in some swing state where Alden Capital has a paper and he's going to claim that he works for the union, that he works for the workers, even though we all just saw what he did with the auto workers who were victorious in their strike a few months ago. And he showed up and told them that The union didn't represent them. He represented them, and that all their jobs were going to go to China. Well, as the Wicked Witch of the West used to say, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. So far, so far, uh, when I made my little trip from um, Phoenix to San Felipe, Mexico, I'll tell you what I saw. I saw some really good infrastructure improvement. You can see it too. It's starting to happen. In the middle of the desert of Arizona, a swing state, in the middle of the desert of Arizona, at a rest stop, you could get a locally produced date milkshake, yum, some extremely odd-looking jerky made of python, an alligator, and a couple of other animals I can't even remember right now. And right outside that roadside attraction, there was a solar-powered charging station With, I I think I counted 20 bays for electric vehicles. It was just brand new. They hadn't even brought the construction equipment away yet. It was still on site. It wasn't in a lot of use. We just saw one car pull up, but you can bet that that wasn't somebody's like, woke up in the morning and said, I think I'll put a solar powered Tesla charging station here in the middle of the desert. That's Joe Biden at work making it possible for you to drive across a desert state without just needing a gas station, with needing a charge and finding it. And there are efforts to unionize Tesla as well. It's, it, it is the resurgence of the labor movement, and you're seeing it because of the kinds of two-faced, crazy lies that the other side is telling, and that we have started to figure out our completely meaningless promises and double dealing. And we've started, start just started to smarten up about it. Some of us, others of us have been around and paying attention for a while. But, you know, we're an optimistic country. Got this text. The Chicago Tribune has been a scab paper since 1985. You know what? I got something to say about that. They voted in the union in 2018 and you can talk about 1985 i'll tell you a story about holding grudges and not not being clear-eyed about where the labor union movement is now and this one this this story is a few years back but you can see that it's pointless to hold the loss of a union from 40 years. I mean, it's, you got to count 85 to, to 2024. It's a whole different world. And this is how it operates. From my union, SAG-AFTRA, back when it was just AFTRA, there was a commercial strike. And at that time, I lived in California. And at that time, I wasn't working much because I had a fairly new baby who I was pushing in a stroller on the picket line in Oakland, California, And then the next day, I took the baby and the stroller to a picket line right by the Golden Gate Bridge to disrupt a scab shoot of a Mercedes-Benz commercial. Auto dealers love to photograph, for some reason, their cars against the Golden Gate Bridge. They like the light. They like the scenery. They like to see the sunlight sparkle on their beautiful new cars. And so we went to disrupt their commercial shoot. Which, by the way, is really easy to do in a car commercial because you want the car to be beautiful and shiny and perfect. And you know what really screws up their commercial chute? A 50-cent bottle of soap bubbles. You blow some soap bubbles in the direction of an automotive commercial shoot, and it wrecks their shoot, and it wrecks their shiny car temporarily. It's great. And then if you're you're really lucky, you have somebody who's a windsurfer to to put a big anti-scab message on their windsurfing sail and sail behind the photo shoot. It was a joy to be on that picket line but that's not the story I want to tell you. I want to tell you about remembering strikes and remembering the history of your union. Because there was a teamster on the site of this shoot. He had driven the equipment. He'd driven the cameras. And I walked up to him with my baby stroller and I said, why are you crossing our picket line? Why are you helping these anti-union producers produce this commercial while we are on strike. And he said, well, I remember you guys didn't support our strike. And he re- mentioned a Teamster strike that had happened some 20 years before. And I looked at him and I said, we have to drop grudges and work together. Most of the people in this commercial shoot who would be doing this union work weren't even born when that action happened. And if they knew that their union had behaved in a way they didn't approve of, they might've done it differently or they would apologize now. And if this is the way it goes, if something that happened 40 years ago can never be, I mean, we're not talking about mass murder here. We're talking about perhaps a union that didn't do all it could have done to support your strike. And that was wrong. But the way to teach them a lesson is to demonstrate solidarity with them and not to say, well, you didn't do it our way 40 years ago. And is this really how the union movement will grow? And I had that conversation with that teamster back and forth. And he looked me in the eye and he reached into his pocket. And he handed me the shooting schedule for the rest of the week so we could show up and screw it up some more. And that's how it's supposed to work. Even if you have to show up, there are still little ways you can express your solidarity. And he did it. He didn't say a word. He just handed me the shooting schedule so that I could go back to the strike team leaders and go, look, we're going to have to show up here, and we're going to have to show up there, and we're going to have to run a picket line over in this other place. And we were fully prepared because, as the old cliche goes, forearmed is fore- forewarned is forearmed, or in this case, forewarned is for being able to take your picket signs and your soap bubbles and whatever else you need and totally screw with their scab effort. So I'm not sure what we can do to support the union. I'm not sure what we can do, but for sure it's defeatist to say that 40 years ago they didn't do right. 40 years ago they were as, as this texture says a, a scab paper they don't want to be a scab paper at a certain point you have to accept people as they are most of the people who were, would have been around then have shuffled off this mortal coil or are living happily in Florida my guess so you need to meet people where they are and you need to let them improve and grow. And so how does your Tribune look this morning? And what will you do if there's something you can do to support the striking journalists who are not just here, but who are in several other markets? I want to say they own a paper in D.C. I know they own a, a paper in Connecticut. Um, they, they have a lot of money. They bought a lot of good organizations and just stripped them slowly. It's like a journalism striptease, except the results are, are not a gorgeous naked person. The results are that you become less informed. You become a less less of a citizen, less able to participate. And the heck with their editorial page. I used to love the Wall Street Journal, whose editorial page routinely horrified me, but it's important to know what people think. And also, we're told on the progressive side all the time, follow the money. Well, how are you going to follow the money if you never look at their media? So you have to look at their media. You have to see what they're reporting. And in the case of the Tribune this morning, um, you you have to be... In, in my opinion, if you're a subscriber, you have to be supportive of the effort of these workers to at least, although they're underpaid and overworked, at least be able to retire with some dignity and self-respect. I mean, it really is interesting. It's not the wages. It's not the wages. And it's just a 24-hour strike. It's not the wages, it's that the company has finally pushed them to the point where there goes their 401k and now they will have nothing. And you you may know that um, since I also do a podcast, my podcast partner is a longtime member of the Newspaper Guild and Writers Guild and that that union has had its troubles and that that union – has had some bad things done to its fund. And and it's because the workers cared so much about it that they managed to haul themselves back from the brink of extinction and try again. Which I have to say is um, what labor is, is amazingly good at. Tenacious, tenacious. I was listening to uh, Patty Vasquez yesterday, and she was talking. If you're not a Patty listener, you should let her drive you home at 5 o'clock every weekday. I was listening to Patty talk about the effort in Indiana to, uh, to basically deprive kids of a mandatory education so that they can be cheap labor on farms and in factories. And the beauty of organized labor is that it shows up and says, When people do these jobs, it should be because they want to and not because they couldn't get an education. And when they do these jobs, they should be paid enough that if they want to do them for the rest of their life, it's a good deal. Or if they want to do something different and get an education while they're working one of these union jobs, they can afford it because we're paying them well and looking after their health and they're not living in fear. And they have dignity. And speaking of all of that, after the news, we are going to um talk a little bit. And I hope you'll join me on the text line. Let me give you that number again. 773-763-9278. Speaking of unions, I want to talk a little bit about the Chicago Auto Show. It's coming next week. And uh, it's going to be minus... It's going to be minus one of the big auto manufacturers. Why do you suppose that is? There are a lot of different reasons, but wouldn't you know it, Solantis is is blaming, I'm sure this will come as a total surprise and shock to you, Solantis is blaming the workers. So I want to talk to you. I know we've often talked to Tom Appel about this, um, but I want to talk to you about Whether it's a factor for you when you go shopping for a vehicle, whether your car is union-made, and if it's going to bother you that Scalantis is bowing out of the show because allegedly it has to pay its workers so much more. That'll all be coming up after the news on WCPT Live Local and progressive. Good morning, WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk. I'm Jerry with you, rider like the truck. You can find me on all the socials if you just put my name in. And yes, that is my book. And yes, that is my podcast. Joining me, the person who's going to wake you up every morning starting Monday, Richard Chu. You probably know him from the family meeting on Sundays on this very station, um, I guess I get to be the first to welcome you as a permanent host on this slot. So welcome, Richard. Well, thank you. Good
0: good, good morning.
1: Good morning. Is it kind of a surprise for you to be up this early and know you're going to do it every day? Are you normally an early person?
0: I am an early person, so I'm... That's not going to be too much of a shock to the system. Um, and, you know, my wife is a, an early riser for the most part. And I think, you know, we we, we, uh, we uh, won't have too much of a problem getting up uh, early because we're already up and awake. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That part won't be, you know, that, that's not going to be much of an issue. Uh,
1: and, you are know, you a coffee it, drinker? What? I have to ask you, are you a coffee drinker? Because this <laughs> would change your life.
0: Yeah, I am a coffee drinker uh, in moderation. Uh, I used to be a much deeper uh, coffee drinker, but, you know, I've sort of modulated that over the last few years for all the right reasons. But, um, yeah, I love a good cup of coffee. So uh, that's that's prepare prepare
1: (laughs) yourself. Just prepare yourself because. um, Three alarm clocks is what it takes to get me to the coffee machine, to, to the espresso pot on the stove when I come in here uh, to fill in. And, and I guess, I mean, I hope you're here every Monday through Friday, but if you're not, I'll be the one drinking the coffee. So please make sure it's good. Um, you know and, it will be. Talk to me a little bit about your thoughts about the show and why, what what you want to do with it and where you want to go with it. Let's hear
0: Well, first of all, I'm excited about it, and and I'm really proud to be able to um, bring um, this additional message to WCPT. We have a great message and a great brand as a progressive uh, station and a progressive family. So first and foremost, I want to say that. And um, as it relates to my vision and things that that I want to do, I'm I'm a collaborative thinking person. I believe that, and I've been... um, been oftentimes referred to as someone that looks at things from a, from a a broad lens. And then how can we take all of that and bring things together? Um, And so when it comes to, what my vision is for the show and what I plan on uh, bringing from a message standpoint is we have to come together. I mean, this is 2024. It is been labeled by so many people across the spectrum as one of the biggest elections in our modern lifetime. Um, I think that's a phrase that's a, that's certainly appropriate. Um, and I think that for us to execute the plan that we believe as progressives, should happen we the number one thing we have to do is to come together and so my goal is to present information full throatedly um, and talk about the the issues that are among uh, that are around us and that we all are dealing with but I'm also going to Bring a message of how we have to pull together, how we have to look at issues that we may not see exactly the same or see that um, how they started, how we got here and where we're going with them the same. But we ultimately have to pull together to get things done. And, then, and the number one thing this year is to get um, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris reelected to hold the Senate, keep, uh, flip the House and to change some state House races. Um, so I'm going to do everything I can to lean into that with the goal being Hey guys, hey y'all. We got to pull. Excuse me. We have to pull and push in the same direction. And um, whatever the issue is, we aren't. You know, and I I think I'm fairly well versed on most of the issues that are are important to us on a a national level, a regional level, and certainly here locally. Um, So that's that's the position that I'm going to take. That's the, um, I guess you could say, the mode of operation that I'm going to be in. And um, we're going to talk about everything. I'm not going to leave anything on the table.
1: Well, let me ask you: since you clearly are understand, you clearly understand that we've got some schisms in in the party, the progressives, the mainline Democrats. I mean, the reason that I am here at all is I, I called up the station year, over a year ago, and I said, "Where are the mainline Democrats? They're, they're sort of being left out of this conversation." And it sounds to me like. You want to speak to everybody, including the the, the mainline Democrats. And, and may I also say that on the other side of the aisle, the Republicans, the old school Republicans, we're seeing what happens when you throw the historic members of the party out of the party and re-engineer it. Where, where do you see the roots of this schism and what can we do to unify the party so that people don't just say, well, if I can't get all of what I want, then the heck with you?
0: Well, I think we have to look at what... Um, and this this impacts everybody, uh, I believe that if we don 't acknowledge that there are differences or differences of opinion about things, then that 's a that starting place in build, in in rebuilding something or building something forward and I think a lot of people feel like their voices are have not been heard um and then that their voice then gets louder because they aren't heard so the only natural human thing to do is yell louder and oftentimes yell in a direction that's not productive for the the greater good so do i know what the singular answer is to uh you know getting Old school Democrats, you know, and and then you know uh, newer progressives to the table to say, okay, we have to stop this this infighting. I don't know what the singular answer is because there's not a singular answer, but there is a singular strategy, and that is everybody has to ask themselves this question, and this is critically important. If we don't do it, what's the worst case scenario?
1: Well, sitting here today is it looks pretty grim, the worst case scenario. And and it looks increasingly likely when you see people saying, Well, you know, I'll I'll just vote for a third party or I'll just vote for a down ballot candidate because I'm not getting a hundred percent of what I want from this candidate, from this president. Um it it's horrifying to watch and scary. Uh is there part of you who thinks, well, you know, this is how people learn because I'm not willing to go to go down with the ship just to teach people a lesson of how much worse it can get, and yet it it seems confusing. Like, what do you say to people when they're young and they're righteous, and as you say, they're they're just going to yell louder? Is there hope?
0: Yeah, there's hope. Is that and that's the, the, right. There is is the 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 the, the question answers itself. Yes, there's hope. There's no question about it in my observation. But more importantly, in my experience, which I think is is relevant right now, there is a lot of hope. The, the, the challenge is <clears throat> we have some of our leadership that hasn't sat down and said some simple words. And this is real. I know, I think one of the things that happens is we get distracted because we don't stay focused. And when we don't stay focused, then you get it's so easy for other things to come into the conversation. But I want to come back and make sure I answer your question. And, yes, there is hope. I, I see that there is hope. But the thing that has to, one of the things that has to happen right now with with the, the, with the way in which the Democratic leadership is handling things globally, and I mean not Internationally globally, but in terms of the the, the party system is they have to re- they have to remind everybody that and I go back to the question that I asked you, if we don't do this now, if we don't come together, the alternative is unacceptable. And I'm like you, I'm not going to go down with the ship um, just because I don't get everything. And what is the, what's the definition of what, everything I want? I mean, what is that's the question that, that, that I think sometimes people have to ask themselves. And I'm going to be asking that question when people call in and when people reach out to us. Well, what is it? What's, what is everything that you want? What is it that you want? Can you line item those things can you can you delineate what those things are and then if you can't then you've got to look at this as from the greater good and i'm a i'm a i'm a guy that's that, that grew up respecting people across the board, older people my same age and younger. But this is one of those moments where people, I believe, have to be asked to say, come on, doggone it, you're not going to get everything you want, and nobody does. I, well, I mean, I'll, hold, I'll take-
1: hold up a sec here. I, I have to say that you and I are possibly closer in generation than some of the people who are demanding things that... If, if they gave you that list you're asking for, you would look at the list, shake your head and go, well, th- this is just not even possible. This is not going to happen. And if you stick so probably- to this list, it's going to burst into flame and we're all going to explode. So what? why do you suppose, because it, is it age or am I misremembering as a certain president who I didn't vote for used to say, or is there now a generation that believes that they really are entitled to get absolutely everything they want how how is this happening to us
0: i think it's about aspirational thinking i believe that let me let me let me put a little bit of uh of of uh, flavor on that so Yes. If, if if a younger – and I don't want to just say it's younger people. I mean, because that's a dangerous – that's a slippery slope to say that it's folks that are of a younger generation. I think okay, everybody right. has – I would
1: go with you. I think you're right about that. Yeah, but that, I think that, it's that, primarily, that, primarily younger voters who somehow believe, thanks to social media, that there's a world that is only saying what they want to hear. That's my theory. but. but
0: Well, yeah, well, that's 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 the that's the sort of isolated silo thinking. Put me in a box and I'm going to right. So I agree with you there. But I want to come back and make sure I address your 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 point, your question that you made uh, or presented about that list. So if that list is out there. Let's say that that list has got 10 things on it, and whatever the 10 things are, they are. And it's a person that's younger chronologically than the mean voter in the Democratic Party. And let's say that person's you know, 38 years of age, and I'm just kind of pulling together some loose things that are running around in my brain. And they sure. say, listen, politicians and progressive talkers and all this, these are the 10 things I want. If I can't get these, I'm not going to vote. So then my my response to that person, and this is where I think a lot of the leadership has not failed, but they haven't been willing to take this, this risk. And on the other side of risk is reward. So here's what I would respond with. And that is, so you're telling me that if you don't get all 10 things that you want, you're not going to play ball. You're going to take your ball and go home. Meaning in this scenario, you're not going to vote, if that's what you're saying to me. Or, or vote me for some Looney
1: Tune third-party crazy cakes candidate, is the other
0: uh, yeah. First, First of all, let's press pause for a second. That's their right to do that. Sure. You have to, you know, that, and that's part of, part of the problem is, when I said earlier about younger... Older, middle-aged voters not being, feeling that they're not being heard, that's part of the problem, is that when that, when, when someone says, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home, or I'm going to vote for a third-party candidate rather than this two-party system, the reaction by too many people has been, well, you can't do that. You have to vote for one of the two top, you know, candidate party, uh, uh, party candidates. Well, no, actually, that's the wrong response.
1: I know they the right
0: don't, resp- but the consequences. No, no, no. Yeah. no, no, no. Well, let, let, me, let me finish. That's, that, the response is, oh, no, you can't do that. The response needs to be, in my experience, well, sure, you can do whatever you want. It's your choice, your right not to vote. I have some thoughts about not voting, and, and that'll, uh, that'll happen down the road on other shows. But it's their right to not vote. It's their right to vote for a third-party candidate. It, it just is. And that's what we're missing. People don't. I mean, I, I'm. I'm. Trust me on this. People want to hear. It's your right to do that. You absolutely can vote for a third party candidate. You absolutely can sit home and not vote. But here is the consequence of that. You may not get every your ten points on the list that you brought to me. But guess what? The the data says that if you don't vote and or if you vote for this third-party candidate, guess what? You're still not going to get it. So let's play the odds and do the thing that will more than likely, and even most likely, but not guaranteed, to get you the items that you say are most dear to you. And then I ask people to prove, prove that to be wrong. Not to defend the position, but prove that to be wrong because it's data-based. It's not my opinion. It's not anecdotal. And that's what a lot of people who are yelling the loudest are missing. They're missing someone breaking it down to them because we live in this soundbite world, okay? And I, and I do blame, I do finger point, even though my father told me not to finger point. When I was a little boy, I do finger point the media, the, the, the broader media. And, and again, that's not, that's not something I'm gonna go into right now, but I wanna stay on point with what you're talking about. That, was, that, that, that list of 10 things that, the, those, that individuals want, that are pulling away from the, the, the main um, mass of energy that we need to go in a singular direction, what I believe is happening is their, their concerns are not being addressed. And they 're being brushed over and being said, "Well no, you have to vote for the one or two party candidate uh, system All rather right, than well, saying
1: let, let me pause you now for a second on on this point because we 're talking about your ten point list of the things that are the most dear to this prospective voter, and what if the top three things that are most dear to them are not on either party?" They've got seven things that are on one side, but three things that are only one of these more fringe candidates. I mean, how do you say to that person who I, I have a friend, for example, um, who who voted on the other side and and, and and before that was an Obama supporter, then went over to Trump and now is looking at a third party. Uh, fortunately, he lives in Illinois, so I don't really care what he does, but um, but I love him. And I want him to be happy. But his top three things are now not being discussed by either party. Um, what what do you then have to say as a data point to the person? You know, the bottom seven things you may get on one of these parties, but your top three things, you vote for this this fringe candidate, and as you pointed out you're not going to get them, but how do you say move your things I guess what I'm asking you is how do you say move your things around to something that that at least one of these parties would do for you how, how do you convince them of that
0: well I'm, that's part of it is you just said it the other seven things are they not important so I asked the question I asked I asked extraction questions <clears throat> so you're telling me the other seven things are not important to you how did they why did they make the list put them on uh-huh. the spot. Okay. how come. So the the other. So the other seven things are not important. No, Richard, the top three. I've got to get my top three. I didn't ask you that. I asked you, are the other seven not important? Well, yeah, they're important. Okay, And those are seven things. And let's make again, we're making we're doing a lot of what if and assumptions. Let's assume that those other seven things are things that the candidate there is a candidate that favors those seven things. So then I would just very, I mean, it's just, it's just listening to people and helping them understand their own thinking. So you're telling me that the other seven are important to you. Yes, Richard, they are. Okay. And the candidate over here is, is a proponent of those seven things. Yes, he or she is. Okay. Well, what the hell is wrong with you then? You're getting 70. I I mean, you're getting. 70% I knew. It. Excuse of what you me, want. but
1: I have to say, I knew it was going to come down to what the hell is wrong with you because sooner or later, when you're talking to the person who wants the three things that are impossible, let's just say, you know, the Miss America line, world peace, not possible. Um, but you can. You've got seven things that'll get you closer. You do come to a point where you, the person banging on those top three things, and you do have to say. What the hell is wrong with you? And then we circle back to the to the pointing and screaming and yelling again. It's at least from where no, but, I sit, it's very frustrating. But, but,
0: but, yeah, it is. And this is how I believe it can be navigated. I'm not going to say handled or more managed, but it can be navigated. So vote, voter, you don't get these, these top three things. OK. Not going to happen in this configuration. But these other seven things you've acknowledged are important to you, right? Yes, they are. Okay. This candidate will get those seven, we're more likely to get those seven things done, right? Yes. Okay. So don't you think that if that candidate is capable of using the leverage of getting those seven things done, that he or she is more capable of helping to get those other three on your list done, or maybe one of those other three on your list done. So if that's, and, and if their answer is, yeah, probably. So then, the question becomes, if that's, the, if that's what they can get done, then wouldn't it make mathematical sense, database sense, and common sense to vote for or lean into the person that's more likely to get these things done than redirecting your energy to some direction that's not going to get anything done? Because then you still win. And it's incremental growth. It's kind of like, and, and I use this analogy a lot, it's kind of like uh, trying to lose weight. So if you put on 20 pounds, and suddenly it's the beginning of the year, oh my goodness, I'm going to go out and lose this 20 pounds. Well, first of all, how, what's the time frame you're going to lose that 20 pounds in? You're going to give yourself, what, months? month? Well, you didn't put it on in 20 months unless you were really, really ill and something happened. But more than likely, you put it on over time. So, you've got to take it off over time, or you will cause harm to your system. That's coming from the medical professionals. So, I look at that same ideology, thought process, and reality as saying, look, if you're going to get all 10, you've got to lean into where the strength is by getting all seven, and then let's circle back.
1: Okay. What What about? Because this is actually happening, and, and I think you'll know some of the issues. I'm not going to name them. But what about if the candidate with your bottom seven is opposed
0: to your top three? Well, I mean, we can. What about it? Is, what about it? Okay. All right. Okay.
1: Long. We're not going to because then I guess. I guess i I love your attitude, by the way, and I would love to send you. I'd love to clone you and send you to some of these people that I've been stuck with where I just kind of bogged my mind and I got I got a really
0: great I got a really great solution. Have them call the show starting next Monday. I'll talk to them absolutely. I have absolutely. Okay. I'm not a. am not a wilting flower. I have absolutely. <clears throat> I believe um the the l- let me put it to you this way. <clears throat> I want folks to be feeling like they're moving in the right direction and feeling like they're getting a part of what they want. Um, and so, um, I absolutely want to take this on because I believe in that. I truly do. Um, I, I believe that we have to address people's concerns and then help them see a, a way forward, understanding that you that initially on any task, you're not gonna get everything at one time. It's just not humanly possible, it's not reality. That is something that a lot of people struggle with. And I don't care where their messaging is coming from. That's been happening since the dawn of time. We just didn't know about it because, you know, we didn't have all these tools of access to information. So my position is going to be for those folks that are in your world, tree that, are, that have that mindset, have them call the show. I will definitely I will. take the time I to talk with them and, 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 and help, them, help them embrace them so that they can go out and do some of the work to help the people that they care about to get this progressive message this unifying message to more people i'm not taking on and saying that any one of us can do it and that's part of the problem it's sort of that you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps western you know um menta- western we're mentality have to,
1: we're gonna have to do it together and we're, and we're gonna leave it there because because we get you monday i will be having coffee so that i can hear it richard Chu. thank you so much for practicing, getting up early with me. No, you said you're an early riser. So Monday it starts, 6 to 8, Richard Chu. You know him from the family meeting, and you're going to know him every day and love him on WCPT. Thanks, Sarah. PT Chicago's Progressive Talk. I am Tori Ryder, holding the fort until Monday when, as you've just heard, or if you're just joining us, Richard Chu is going to be your host weekday morning, 6 to 8. You've heard him. If you were listening the last half hour, he wants to have the conversation. He's very data-driven. I think you're going to enjoy uh, the conversation that's going to be an extension of his family meeting you may have heard on Sundays, where he brings people together for the progressive movement, including everybody, even mainline, stuck-in-the-mud mainline Democrats like me. I do want to talk about the auto show and the allegations that Stellantis makes now that they're not showing up because they settled a deal with labor that's so costly. But let me circle back to um, some of the texts that you've sent. And by the way, feel free to text this morning as you're heading out to do whatever you have to do now that it's light out or maybe coming home from that third shift. That used to be me. Um, When you work those overnight shifts and you get out the air or you get out of work, you walk out of your place of business and and you've been working all night and you realize that it's been a few days since you've seen an actual human being except for the person in the mini mart who sells you the box of Entenmann's cookies, which you eat all of on the way home. Don't ask me how I know this about you. Maybe because it's about me. 773-763-9278. That's the number to text. Let me get to some of your texts. I'm going to vote for Biden, even if he looks like the walking dead. But you got to admit that the Democrats owe a debt to the black community that they've never paid. I'll go with that. What I would ask for, let's start a conversation about true reparations for slavery. Um, that, that would go on your list then, Texter. Reparations. This this line that got included in this text was an interesting one. You can pay for the Jewish community or World War II, the Japanese community for World War II. Uh, I would say that the Jewish community got reparations from Germany, didn't get anything from the States. Uh, Japanese communities got minimal reparations, not nearly enough, I would say, uh, but nothing for the Native American and Black community. I'm with you there. Things need to be done. But it's interesting, this perception that there's been some kind of reparations for Asian um, and Japanese Americans in particular and for the Jewish community for World War II. Where does that come from? I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, This text came in, this great move. Richard's message is that right now you either support Biden or you'll get Trump. Um, may I say that this idea that you support Biden or you'll get Trump and Biden's lesser of two evils. I'm pretty proud of Biden. I don't think he's, uh, I mean, it, it is an important thing to, to, to explain to people. Still, still in all, uh, it, it is, uh, it is important to look at the positives. We're, we're all the Democrats here. We're all sitting back on our heels going, well, what's better than Trump? He's done so many good things. Look at the bills he's passed. Look at the environment. He just nixed a big um, pipeline project in the Gulf, where they really, you know, even despite themselves, some of the folks who vote against his policies and then are mystified when when horrible natural disasters happen. It's hard, but we have to try to explain to folks that really their best interests lie with us. And they do. The best interests of working people, it's the strangest thing to try to understand how people whose best interests are not at all served by President Trump are, are losing out by not supporting someone who really does have their best interests at heart. I'm, I still am not sure how we can focus on the positive so let's talk about the auto show. It's coming next week. I haven't been in a while this year. I was planning to go because, as you know, if you've listened to me, Tory Ryder, in various capacities that I've shown up here to fill in, and I'll be here tomorrow too. If you've, if you've listened to me, you know I'm fascinated and looking forward and hoping to soon be able to have an environmentally responsible green electric-powered vehicle. And I was excited to see that there's a whole category of them coming to the Chicago Auto Show. So I was planning to go this year. And then I saw that Stellantis, which is what we used to, I mean, it's it's a European company now, owned in Europe, but still building under various American nameplates – They're not going and they say, instead of just saying, you know, we want to put our money, well, they do say we want to invest our money elsewhere, but they're also blaming labor. And I'm thinking to myself, how does this really assist your company going forward that you take the deal you signed and then you blame it for disappointing the people who go to the world's biggest auto show, which Chicago historically has been? How does it serve you to blame your workers? Or maybe I'm asking the wrong question. Maybe you think that that this is actually a positive message. We're going to disappoint you at the auto show because we prioritized our workers. They could have put it that way. They haven't, but they could have. We're making our workers the top priority. We gave them what we wanted. And so you won't see us at the auto show because we're putting our workers first. They didn't do that. So, are you, uh, are, is this going to make a difference to you? Are you going to look at your auto purchase differently? Are, are you an attender of the auto show? I was really looking forward to seeing the advances that are being made as far as cars that are recyclable, uh, hybrids, uh, plug-in hybrids, all it's all, I love the technology of it. And maybe you do too, and maybe you just like to see what's possible in the future. When I was working on the year in LA, it was fun to go to the LA auto show because, um, you're going to the auto show with tons of people who can just buy any kind of car. And as you know, LA is a big car culture. So you would see the future cars and you would see people look at them and you and I, uh, I'm presuming you, for sure, I look at these cars and think, well, you know, never, never would I ever be able to buy this. But when you go to uh, the LA auto show, you're standing around with Movie stars and people who collect these things, and they they're like, yeah, I'll be I'll be buying that, which is kind of exciting. It's kind of exciting. So, how do you think that Stellantis's decision to pull out of the auto show um, speaks to their their labor record? Are they handling this right? Are they handling this wrong? Um, what 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 do you make of their position? And do you feel insulted by it as as someone who supports working people? I'm a little insulted. I think they could have done the same thing nicely. And instead they're trying to score points and they're trying to score points on workers. And I think that that will backfire. But again, maybe, maybe you're someone who calculates politics into your buying decisions or maybe you're not. So I guess what I'm asking you is, Are you making that calculation? If you're in the market for a vehicle in the not too distant future, are you, are you now going to take points away from Stellantis? Because instead of saying, we we can't make the auto show this year because we prioritized our workers, if instead of that, they're saying, you know, we're, we're, we're not even going to bother coming here because we're so screwed over by our workers. I think that's what I think that's the message they're sending and I think it's really foolish of them. It's interesting when um companies make make a statement to the public that they think is going to serve them and, and they're so out of touch with the public that you look at this corporate policy and you go, Seriously? Are you seriously Are you seriously thinking this will serve you? Are you seriously thinking that people who make decisions politically, I'm going to buy Stellantis because they're angry at their workers. And by the way, don't you think you get a better product when you treat your workers well? Don't know if you saw the New York Times this week. A couple days ago, there was an op-ed piece about a company called American Roots. I think they may have changed their name. But they were founded by um, a couple in Maine, the gentleman of the two is a man and a woman couple. The gentleman of the two had worked for, I believe, the AFL-CIO, and he wanted to prove that you could make a really quality product in America with union labor, and that it would be better than anything else, and that it would survive uh, long term. And I must say that I was looking for um, looking for a sweatshirt for the spousal unit. I looked at them and paid more because I felt better about their company. I felt better spending money on something that I knew hadn't been made by slave labor offshore and was going to end up going you know, into the rag bag sooner than later. I was not expecting the quality of the garment I received. I was surprised. For starters... And I'll just tell you, in my effort to stick it to the big power companies, I don't use my dryer at all in the winter. I just drape everything over the radiators. The house looks like a clothing factory exploded in it. You walk down the hall, there's a pair of jeans on the hallway radiator, and the linens are hanging off the doors. And the spousal unit sweatshirt took five times as long to dry once I bought the American-made sweatshirt because it was so solid. I took the thing out of the washing machine. I was like, this weighs 10 pounds. And then I thought, huh, American labor. They made a quality product with quality parts in it. You can literally feel it when you pick it up. You can feel it. And that's when buying your politics makes a difference. Makes a difference in your car. Makes a difference in your sweatshirt. Makes a difference. So yeah, I think it's important to support a company that in this case, the American Roots uh company, they were fairly young when the COVID pandemic hit and instead of firing people and shutting down, they asked their workers if if they uh would take a uh, I think it was a pay cut or shorter hours or some time off. I forget how they did it so that they could reconfigure and make masks when those were in short supply. And they all said yes and they did it until, of course, they were flooded by stuff from overseas. We've got to stop this collective habit of just getting stuff from overseas because it's cheaper. Because in the long run, it'll cost you. I was talking with a friend of mine uh, who noticed that um who noticed the the downtown in a major American city, San Francisco was completely empty. And we were talking about the reasons why that had happened. And part of the reason, and I can't say I'm completely blameless here, is that instead of retail that you walk into and look around and pick up and go, Oh my gosh, this American made sweatshirt is solid. You just point and click and get it from Amazon. This came in on the text. By the way, if you want to join us by text, the number is seven seven three seven six three 763 wcpt That's seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. 763 9278 the company we're talking about, Stellantis here is not happy about having to capitulate, to capitulate to labor, so they're taking a play out of Target's playbook when they blamed high crime for closing certain term, stores, which turned out to be a lie. They're trying to say unions ruin the things you love. Well, I couldn't have put that any better. Thank you for texting it to me that way. I don't think, I don't think that that's going to work in their favor long term. I don't believe it, but maybe you do. I mean, it's hard to wait out the full cycle. You have to be patient sometimes. You have to say, okay, well, I'm not, you know, it's, it's going to be a downturn for a while, but I think if we stick with our people, if we stick with our American labor and our plan and our quality, the quality and the labor will out. But that really is counting on, on you. It counts on you to say, you know what, I could point and click and get the cheap crappy thing with the American brand name that's made in, you know, Pakistan or Sri Lanka or China or wherever. Or or I can pay more and have something that will last much longer and be made here. And then there's that kind of middle area. You want to know what's embarrassing? What's embarrassing is to drive through Detroit in a Toyota, even one that was made in Indiana. That's when you really feel it, as we did. Because <laughs> the, the mommy van, my new car, the 2005 mommy van, we took that up to Canada. And when you drive through Detroit, you really want to just kind of put up a sign and say, it was made in Indiana, <laughs> but still not enough. Still not enough, I guess. And so I really want to buy an American, American made next time. It's becoming more and more clear and more and more important. I think to, uh, to support the people making the things, the people building the things, the people designing the things. I think it's really vital that we get that message. Even if we get fewer of the things, wait longer for them, these are our neighbors. These are the the people who are going to be, for example, educating our children. So we support the teachers. These are the people who are making sure that when we buy a product, it doesn't explode. And while we're at it, could we just talk a little bit about the the, supporting the government people who make sure that things work the way they're supposed to work. Who I, mean, I, I hear people raging against gov- the government. That's the problem, it's the government. And I, And I would say that this whole deterioration that we've felt in the last several years, this began with Ronald Reagan and his idea that government was inherently evil and making people believe that Education and public service were not useful, honorable professions that really made people's lives better. And that idea that we could just fight a war on the government and somehow the people would win missed the point missed the point that for the most part, the government was there to serve us and make our lives better. And for the most part, the people who do those jobs really care about making our lives better. They care that when you buy vegetables or meat or product in the store, it's not poisonous. Um, As we find out, it can be in other countries. You may recall We've gotten things shipped to us from other countries where the government doesn't inspect things the way it does here, and they can be toxic. We've got a whole department that makes sure. We've got another department that makes sure that when self-driving cars are careening off the road and hurting people, they put a stop to it. We've got departments that make sure that when a company is manufacturing things next to a river or a stream or digging out a mountainside, that it's not dumping heavy metals and toxic waste into our water. That was the government. Those are the things we voted for that our government does. And the way that you can make sure if you have a war on government and you don't care, as Donald Trump, for example, doesn't care about your air and your water and the safety of your life, he doesn't care about any of that, is you start, you say, okay, well, we'll just not hire people to do those jobs. We're not going to hire people to make sure that children aren't working in factories in the middle of the night when they have to get up and go to school um, a couple hours before when you're listening to me now. That's what thats what your government is doing. So I guess this is a long way back to Stellantis and the auto show, but we really need to stop vilifying the people who are doing right by us. It doesn't serve us. It didn't, it doesn't serve Stellantis to do this. It doesn't ultimately the long view. And this is one thing that's going to be great. I think about Richard Chu when he talks to you and listens to you and interacts with you as he's going to be doing every morning from six to eight starting Monday. You're going to get a chance to think, um, about the long view. You're going to get a chance to look at your priorities and look at your goals with him and figure out okay what's doable what's the priority right now what what can we get done together and that will that will be a useful accomplishment checking back on your texts uh, congratulations Well, not to me, I'm assuming, but to uh, Richard Chu. And thank you for asking me to please shut up and go away. (laughs) Uh, Well, that will happen, but not till Monday because I'll be back tomorrow. So if you'd like me to please shut up and go away. Alas, I do not have a fund to come and turn your radio off, but I'll try and collect one between now and Monday. In the meantime, you'll just have to find your way to a button. Same as you found your way to the text. That, that will be how you'll have to manage it. Let's look at a little something that's going on in Chicago with the few minutes we have left this morning. I found this in Cranes. You know, Mackenzie Scott, the widow of uh, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. She's, she's been, you want to see what you can get done if you have billions and billions of dollars. She has been doing remarkable things. Some of it kind of scattershot, in my opinion, funding some things around Chicago that, Are, yeah, I think somebody needs to advise her a little better. But interestingly, she has, um, she has decided to, uh, spend a little money, $3 million, uh, this from Crane Chicago for a nonprofit, supporting a nonprofit that helps build up Chicago and diversify the city's construction industry. They're a group called Hire 360, and what they do is they connect minority businesses and communities to contracts and uh, work careers in construction. And they have been doing a renovation on their space at 26th and State. If you know that neighborhood, it's kind of the the headquarters for a lot of labor unions are right in that area. And she is helping to fund them so that they will have space for um learning opportunities in the trades, pre-apprenticeship, uh, helping new contractors and minority contractors conduct business and access resources. It's a huge gift. And may I say, it's, she has got to be one of the best uses of divorce settlements. And and this may just be a theory, but I've noticed, uh, I started noticing this um, when I met a woman who took her giant divorce settlement and opened a cat rescue. She's like, fine, my marriage sucked, but I wa- walked away with lots and lots of loot. And now I think what I'd like to do is fund something I believe in. And so they take their money and they they put it into causes. And it's it's kind of, if you start counting up the usually women who do this, it's a considerable economic force. They get this money because they help their spouses build up these hugely successful businesses the marriage doesn't work out the 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 business did and so they're like you know what not only do i not care in the case of jeff bezos that you're living on a yacht with your amply bosomed and clearly augmented uh bathing suit model of a girlfriend but i'm going to uh take the money and do something that is really meaningful with it. I think it's a flying middle finger and a great use of funds. Both of those things. And Mackenzie Scott is is probably the prime example of what you can do with it with the resources and the willpower to do it. I would rather, and I bet you would rather have seen Amazon pay a bigger share of taxes, because up until fairly recently they paid very little and they're still and many of these companies are still uh, not paying enough. But even even so, she's managed to uh, take this money and fund a lot of things around town. She's funding um, arts organizations and girls organizations and just really making an impact and this particular thing if you've listened to me in the past you will know that I'm a big proponent of uh, women going into the trades it's still uh, it still drops me in my tracks when I I pass a construction site and I see women on the job it's just a great feeling to see women doing these skills-demanding, high-paying, family-supporting um jobs that you just never used to see them do, and there aren't nearly enough of them. And now it appears that thanks to Mackenzie uh, Scott, we will we will see more of them here in Chicago. And I will be seeing you tomorrow morning at six and uh, have some interesting people for you to meet and talk with and hear from. And I want to remind you again that if you like family meeting or if you haven't had a chance to meet Richard Chu, you're going to enjoy hearing him mornings every morning starting Monday from 6 to 8. And he will welcome all to the table your views, your thoughts, uh, your theories, it's all going to be happening uh, live, local and progressive on WCPT because that is what we do. It's a couple minutes before eight o'clock. I'm Turi with you, Rider Like the Truck. If you want to, inc- uh, if you want to conclude, include or uh, move forward with a conversation with me, yes, it's my book. Yes, it's my podcast. And you can find me on most of the socials and I'm, I'm happy to hear from you and respond if, if at all possible. And thanks. Uh, thanks for, Thanks for being with us during the transition. It's exciting. It's an exciting time. and I think you're going to like it. Thanks, Henry, for running the buttons on WCPT Radio. We are Live Local and Progressive. <music>